Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Schmitz. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am excited for episode eight. Me too. One of my favorite topics. We just covered personal growth and being a lifetime learner, framing it with the question of who do you want to become when you grow up in our last episode? And to follow that up, I thought it'd be very appropriate if Mike helped us walk through what he calls a personal retreat, because this could potentially be the very avenue by which you can determine what adjustments can you make to become the person that you desire to be. Well, it'll help you identify the right adjustments. That's the thing. I think people who don't have a positive view of productivity, self-development, personal growth, it's because they get sick of hearing something along the lines of just one small life hack will get you back three hours per day every day for the rest of your life. And it doesn't work that way. No. Anybody who tries some of that stuff and it doesn't work, you can start to get discouraged. It's like, well, this, all of this stuff is kind of like snake oil. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. It, some of it is really impactful, but only you can determine what is the right thing for you to do. And that was kind of the whole idea behind the personal retreat is get some space, get some time. You know, your brain is actually really, really good at solving these complex problems, if you let it do what it's designed to do and not try to remember all the things that you're forgetting to do, just think, you know, your brain is for having the ideas, not holding them. And uh, when you give it space to do that, it can help unravel things and bring clarity and, and provide a, a clear path forward. And then it's easier for you to say, well, I'm going to do this thing and all the other stuff that people are saying, oh, you, you should check this out. I'm able to resist the, the FOMO associated with those things because I know that's not for me. Right. And I know there, I've heard some people kind of look down on those who like to read self-help books over and over and over. Well, shouldn't one self-help book be enough? <laughs> funny you should say that because there is a book that we covered for bookworm joe and i uh the antidote which at the beginning they tell a condescending story about like a tony robbins type event and they make a statement in there i forget exactly what it was but it's something along the lines of well if all of these books delivered on their promises you wouldn't need all of these books (laughs) but i mean who can get a full message the first time they hear it that's true the whole premise of repetition is a teacher's best friend for children. Well, that really doesn't change. Uh, pastors, that's their best friend is repetition. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, just because we're adults doesn't mean we don't need repetition. Leaders, period. Right. And all those inputs are valuable. And if if a book sparks one positive insight or change or revelation that's going to change the course and improve your life, then it's worth the read. Yep. So with that, I would like to know, first of all, what is a personal retreat? This is, I don't know, like that could, could sound a little hokey or I don't know, you could probably gain a few things that might be not quite what you intend. So what is a personal retreat? A personal retreat is basically getting away by yourself for an extended period of time. When I say extended, I mean more than just a couple of hours. So mine is typically overnight, and I do them about once a quarter. 
uh, and you get away for an extended period of time just to think and you guide your thinking in a specific direction using prompts, which will help you kind of provide a retrospective of the last time period. I do it in quarters, kind of based on the 12-week year, but you could do whatever time period you want. I like the 12-week year, by the way, because it's basically a chance to hit the reset button four times per year instead of waiting until January 1st with the New Year's resolutions. Right, and typically when you do that, isn't it true that you could get as much done in a 12-week period as you could with a 12-month period because you have like a shorter time frame in mind? That's kind of the idea behind the 12-week year, yeah, is that you set these big goals that you would typically set for an entire year. And they know that if you set yearly goals, you're going to just slack off for the first 11 months and then try to crank it out right at the end. Yeah, it's so far (laughs) away. Why would you start making progress on it? Yeah, so it eliminates, by doing it every three months or every 12 weeks, you eliminate the potential to procrastinate for the extended period of time. It kind of forces you to keep momentum going forward. I don't agree at this point with everything that's in that that book. I do think that there is kind of a unhealthy emphasis on like the constant hustle. Uh, and even my book, you know, I define hustle a little bit different than a lot of other people do. But like you can't just pedal to the metal all the time. You will burn out. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people with the the 12 week year, but there is some truth to the smaller time frames forcing you to to keep things moving. Well, I would think it would just keep you focused on making progress on a specific goal, a specific uh, project, rather than having such a big goal or vision that it's hard to know where to even start. Yep, that's true. Uh, and then the other thing that goes along with the 12 week year, which I really agree with, uh, that is this whole concept of intentional imbalance. So you've heard people, I'm sure, talk about work life balance. You know, what is what does that mean to you at this point? At this point, I believe I just have a life that I need to balance. And <laughs> it's all so interwoven. And it's not just, I don't think that's special to me, being that. I am mostly a stay-at-home mom and I homeschool my children. I do, I have work ventures. I have ministry responsibilities and things. Yep. But all of it is so intertwined that I have a life and I need to balance it. And to say that work is completely separate from my personal life is not true at all. And I think that mindset really tilts things off balance. So the whole work-life balance myth, and I do believe it is a myth, is that you can devote all of the time that you need to maintain your work and all the time that you need to maintain your life, and both of those will be at 100% all the time. But it's not that simple. Like you said, there's just your life and you have to balance it. And it's actually a lot more complicated than that because there's lots of different areas. Yes, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of them. Everybody's got their own. I've got this inside of my personal retreat handbook. I've got this wheel of life, which the wheel of life is not original to me. I don't know where I saw it first. But my version of this and the eight categories that I have, this is a little bit different than the other stuff that's out there. But really the categories, you name them for yourself. Mine are spiritual, career work, love and relationships, 
health and fitness, personal growth, fun recreation, social, and finances. And I do this in a circle in the workbook because the idea is that from the middle of the circle to the out, uh, outer rim of the circle is a scale from zero to 10. And there's eight pieces of this pie and you basically shade the circle for how satisfied you are with each one of these different areas based on that scale of zero to 10. And it's completely arbitrary. So it's whatever you feel like. There's no, this is what a nine means. This is what a five means. But you rate the different areas of your life in the 12-week year format is that you're not going to be able to address all of these in the next 12 years. So pick a couple that you really want to, to improve. And what I advocate for in the personal retreat course is that you pick the lowest ones and you set goals in those particular areas. And really the goals, we've talked about how I don't really like goals. So goals is a bad term too. It's really the habits that you're going to do over and over again, the habits you're going to add in those specific areas. So some of the stuff that I've done in the past is like my social has been low because I tend to be a bit a of a hermit. <laughs> yep. Introverts unite separately in your own homes. <laughs> uh, so I would make a habit of getting lunch with somebody once a week or getting coffee with somebody once a week. Or this is actually where the whole kibbutz thing that we started doing before the pandemic hit, <laughs> uh, came from is I recognize that I tend to neglect this one. So my last 12-week year or personal retreat before uh, before the new year, I believe, uh, the social was was fairly low. Um, but really, the, the, the idea here is that you can identify your own scales. So you make this completely personal, and then you don't try to keep all of these plates spinning. Some, you may have 12 different areas that you're trying to keep track of. Uh, I think eight is a good good number. If you can get it down to eight areas, that's probably a, a sweet spot, a great spot to start. And then you've got this visual wheel of life after you color these in that shows you kind of where things are going well. And you can kind of let those go on autopilot for a little bit. And then uh, some of the areas that aren't doing so well that you got to focus your attention for right now. Yes. And I, I didn't specifically, I have used this format before, but in the last month or two, I have identified that there's a few areas that have been low for me that before all the shutdown stuff were never really an issue for me. Uh, one of which is uh, social. I'm extroverted. I love, I'm energized by being around people. I love being around people. And so I love my husband. I love my children, but my husband's very introverted, as he just confessed. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> and being around just your children all the time doesn't cut it for someone who is social and extroverted. And I know everyone who fits that description like me understands exactly what I mean. It's not to lessen the relationship that you have with your immediate family like that, but there's a difference. Yep. So I recognize that I was not doing so hot emotionally and different different ways I could see a big effect and I just needed to be around people. And it didn't necessarily need to be like face to face, but just having more conversations with people, um, I, like close friends or different people like that, um, or, you know, people that I knew understood me or that I could talk through things or even just have an enjoyable conversation just about fun things that aren't real deep, you know, but um, I needed to talk. <laughs> I needed to talk to someone besides my children and uh, besides cornering my husband um, when I wasn't working. <laughs> so, <laughs> Or sometimes even when I was. <laughs> or, you know, that may happen here and there since you work at home all the time yeah. now. Uh, but... Also, another area was, this wasn't a problem problem for me 
previously either because I had been working out regularly. And also this was a, a physical exercise, but also social because I would take classes. So having that all shut down, I haven't been able to do my classes the last few months, which is not great because I'm not, I've mentioned this before, I'm not naturally innately motivated to work out. I'm not lazy, but working out just to work out, like I was like, forget it, you know, like I'll do gardening, I'll do whatever, (laughs) you know, but um, I just recognize I need to do something. So uh, the last week I've been running almost every day and it's not far, but it's enough in the morning that it really has made a huge difference, bigger difference than I would have even imagined. So it's really, really important. What we're talking about today, and you know, don't get tripped up on the whole personal retreat. Like, I don't have days to do this or a full day even or anything. Just don't let that um, stop you from hearing the value in what we're sharing today. A lot of people will say, I can't afford an entire day, but I would argue you can't afford not to take an entire day. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for you moms out there, uh, it's like, okay, how would I get a day? Let's get creative here because... Maybe even in this uh, quarantine time, there is another family that you're okay being around. Maybe you could swap with that family and watch each other's kids. Or, you know, maybe your husband could take a day off and be with the kids and you could take some walks and maybe sit at a park on a park bench or get really creative with it. And the thing is just to start. So start where you are with what you have. If you can't do a whole day, fine. You know, just do a couple of hours. But the whole day really is the thing I think you need in order to get the full benefit. And really it's like an overnight sort of thing. And it's definitely worthwhile. It provides intention and clarity and purpose and vision for everything that you do when you come back from this. So we've done this or I've done this now every quarter, almost every quarter, for a couple of years now but it's not just me who does this we try to get you some time and space for you to do your own as well it's been a little bit weird lately yeah (laughs) but uh it's it's worthwhile to to look at first of all where things are currently at so like the the state of the flocks uh, understanding where you're currently at that's going to be really important because if you just sit there for a while, you may find out that like you may be because you were so busy doing all the things you needed to do, you thought you were fine. And then you get alone and you're just completely emotional. You're a wreck. <laughs> like something's not okay there, but you've been able to put a bandaid over it for a while. And before that can really heal, you got to recognize what's, what's going on. And then you can take some steps to in- intentionally change the systems in your life that are producing these results that are not ideal but until you really reflect on what's there you you won't know what to do yeah it's kind of like taking a road trip and you just keep driving 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 without recognizing the warning signs that are coming up in your vehicle maybe your fuel is low maybe you need to check the oil you know and not looking under the hood not stopping at a a gas station it's kind of like that where if you just keep going 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 without checking the state of the engine for this, the state of your brain, the state of your emotions, the state of your body, et cetera, state of your spirit. All the different areas in the wheel of life, and you can define what they are. <laughs> yeah. If we don't ever stop to really reflect and look at things for what they are, then, you know, something 
there's going to be a tire blown out or something. You know what I yep. mean? Like that is inevitable. And I would say too, like this is really powerful if you take uh, every few months and take some time to do this. But also it's a mindset too where you're continually thinking this way. And um, one of the things that really helps and challenges me is uh, a wise woman looks well into the ways of her household. She's not afraid to look at things for what they are. She's not afraid to go in the, under the refrigerator to pull it out and clean under it <laughs> because it's gross. Or even worse, the, the stove, right? A wise woman, a wise man, they're not afraid to look at things. They're not afraid to examine the parts of their life that, you know, maybe aren't doing so hot or the issue with their child or in their marriage. We won't fix anything if we just ignore it and bury our head in the sand. You can't fix it until you know what's really broken. Right. You need a a, diagnostic. Yep. There's a, a quote that says, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles or something like that. But a lot of times the enemy is ourselves. Yes. (laughs) We just don't realize how we are sabotaging ourselves. And uh, that's kind of what the personal retreat does is it allows you to identify what's working, what's not working, and then make the adjustments. So I mentioned the wheel of life even before that though. Uh, It's kind of based on the core values, which we've talked about. So this personal retreat, this is like a tool in the toolbox. It's not the only thing. It's not some magical thing where if you just start doing this, then everything is going to magically work out. It It is going to all tie together. You mentioned the result of your wheel of life being like the the health and fitness part being low. That was actually the adjustments that were made there was a result of a family meeting that we had. Yep. So all of this stuff ties together. And the more conversation you have around the results and where things are at, the more alignment there can be in moving in the, the right direction. But uh, you want me to just kind of walk through some of the other pieces of this real quickly? Yes. And if you're interested in the family meetings, that was episode six, just our format for how we talk through things for our family. All right. And I guess one follow-up question right away would be, so if you're doing this personal retreat, are you doing this for your family? Are you doing it for yourself? Uh, Yes. All of it. (laughs) I would say do it for yourself. So I've done this and Rachel, you've done one personally as well. We have not collaborated on like, this is what the family is going to be doing this quarter. But also we believe that it is my responsibility as the head of the household to set the the direction. And I firmly believe that a lot of the problems that we are seeing in the world right now are a result of men and fathers specifically kind of abandoning their posts because they don't want the responsibility for that sort of thing. Right. And we have laid the foundation with our family core values and our belief system. And that really is us coming together in unity. And that is the base. And that's why, you know, you can go ahead and do more of these as you are taking the head, the leadership role, whatever you want to call it, which I greatly appreciate. (laughs) Right. So when I go away for one of these, I'll go through the process. I'll come back. This is what I got as it pertains to the family. And then I don't think there's ever been a time where you were like, well, actually, I don't agree with that. Most of the time you're like, yep, that's that's exactly it. We Because we make believe these the same things and we talk about these things. Exactly. You know, it's not like you're going to come out of left field with something crazy. Yep. 
That's that's very true. And if you did, we would quickly remedy <laughs> that. <laughs> but it's easiest to deal with the things that will surface here if you do apply them to yourself personally and not to somebody or something else like the family unit or your significant right. other. Yep, yeah. exactly. All right, so the first thing that you really need before this can work is your core values. And uh, we talked about this already, but I'll just share some questions that I have in the workbook to help people kind of land on these if they've never thought about this before. This was from episodes four and five, if you want to review that. So what legacy would you like to leave behind? What are you passionate about? What really makes you happy in life? What do you value? What do you refuse to do? How do you measure success? How will people remember you? Kind of beginning with the end in mind. And then from there, you're going to identify what you need to do in order to, to get to that, that point. All right. So once you have your core values, then you do the uh, the wheel of life and you identify your, your lowest areas. Uh, if you've not done an ideal future exercise, this is really powerful where you just kind of like in as much detail as you can, as you can come up with, describe a day in the life of future you five years from now. So where do you live? What kind of relationship do you have with your significant other, with your kids if you have any? What sort of house do you live in? What sort of car do you drive? Like, what do you do during the day? Anything that you can imagine. Uh, And this is really important because you may go through this list, spend some time painting this picture in your head of your ideal future and be like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to do this. But you might be surprised what pieces of that you can start living out right now. And you don't even realize that until you get it all down on paper. Uh, next step is the retrospective. And this is where I look back on what I did. So what did I accomplish? What went well? What could have gone better? And then the three big questions. And for people who have listened to the family meeting ep- episode, these will sound familiar. What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? And what should I keep doing? Three power pack questions that have stirred so much conversation in our house. <laughs> yep. We did a family meeting just today before yes, we recorded this. Walk. And we answered these three questions. Yep. <laughs> Every single time. It's amazing what comes out of these three yeah, simple questions. It is. <laughs> it is. Now, we'll say with the personal retreat, and I talk a little bit about this in the, the course. Um, but if you are going to go away and answer these questions, I would challenge you not to stop as soon as you have something down. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because you will think of something right away that fits the description. <laughs> but if you sit and stew on it, my in my experience, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes, I've got this page entirely full. And at that point, you feel like, okay, I can move on. I'm done. You're not done. (laughs) Sit and think (laughs) about it. Give it an hour or two, and then you'll start to get to the really good stuff. Because our minds are so wound tight from going from thing to thing that there's a process to unraveling all that. Exactly. And it doesn't happen quick like we want everything to. Yep. Exactly. And this is why I advocate for the overnight, because I'll go through this piece and then... Usually by the end of the day, when I've done this, I am exhausted. I haven't done anything all day except think, (laughs) but I'm exhausted. I'll go to bed, I'll wake up, and then I'll look at what I wrote down, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I missed this, this, and the other thing. And it will grow to twice the length that it it was just because I gave it a little bit more space. So for me, it's typically like I'll, I'll leave on a Thursday night, 
I'll go up to Door County, to the chateau we call it, be alone for all day Friday and Saturday morning come back. And uh, I do that once a quarter. And that sounds like maybe a lot of time away from your family. And like I said, if you can't get away for an entire day, that's fine. But I, if you, I challenge you to do this even once or twice. And if it does not significantly change your attitude towards um, what you are able to do and also the the pace at which you have which you do it like it doesn't feel as frantic it doesn't feel as um, out of control then uh, go ahead and disregard it but almost everybody that I know that has tried it is like oh my gosh this is amazing it helps so much <laughs> well if you think about it, our normal life I, I read something today that the average person unlocks their phone every six minutes throughout the day Mm-hmm. And it's uh, ends up being you know well over a hundred times a day, and so that's constantly inputting data into your brain, your poor yep. brain. So this unraveling process is super important, and it's very very healthy for your brain. Yep, and you don't have to use the framework that I have. I just have done this a fair number of times, and this really works for me. The prompts must are really powerful, though, because otherwise you could sit there and you, your mind could start fighting against you going, I'm bored or I'm I don't even know. Like, what do I how do I even start? Yeah, that's that's true. But I think even if you just got away with a pen and a piece of paper and you You're, just wrote down yeah, whatever came to true. your head, that would still be uh, that would still be beneficial. What the prompts do is they kind of point your brain in a specific direction but if you wanted to go in a different direction than what I have in the course, I would think that that would be a perfectly fine alternative version of the the personal retreat. So when you're on your personal retreat, do you limit the amount of tech that you have at your in access? Like, are you on Do Not Disturb on your phone? Like, what? How do you do that? Uh, that's do you a avoid good Twitter? Question. Do you avoid? You know, like I know for me. I avoid contacting you at all unless I know it's really, really important. Yep. So the more interruptions and distractions you have, the less you're going to get out of it. So if you can, yes, I would say disconnect from everything. So absolutely no email. And I would say no social media as well. Now, I think people will have issues with both of those. But it's important that you don't feel that compulsion to go check something else. Because then you're just putting more in and then there's just that much more to unravel, right? Well, what's happening when you feel compelled to go check Facebook or Twitter or check your email is you're forcing your brain to think about something more deeply than it has maybe ever. And it's going, ah, this is uncomfortable. I want a, I want an out. <laughs> And so it's looking for anything, anything new and shiny that it can use to to not stare at what's really going on. It's the same thing that you do in your everyday life without even realizing it. So don't do the same thing while you're on your personal retreat. Uh, if you can disconnect from the internet, if you have to disconnect from the internet entirely, uh, do it. It's worth it. Usually when I go, I will not turn my phone on Do Not Disturb, although I won't have it in my hands either. Uh, so I won't look at it and I won't get any notifications during the day. I will check things if I take a break for lunch, for example. But other than that, when I am in personal retreat mode, I'm not opening a door to 
anything else that can steal my attention. When I do leave that open, every single time I get distracted by something and something that is quote unquote urgent, whether it is or not is debatable, but my brain attaches to it. It's like, oh, you better take care of this thing. And then I end up robbing myself of hours from my personal retreat and I kick myself afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. I would say, you know, if you keep all those doors open, it's basically undermining the personal retreat and the power of it. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Is that the end of your workbook then? Uh, Pretty much? Or? Basically, I guess okay. the other thing to mention here is that once you look at, you know, what went well, what you're going to keep doing, start doing, stop doing, then uh, you look at that that uh, wheel of life. You identify the areas you want to make improvements in. And then you set some goals. And I say goals because that's kind of like the outcome that you're hoping to achieve at the end of the quarter. And then if there's any milestones associated with that, you jot those down. But ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to break it down into the daily tasks or habits that you need to do in order for that thing to become a reality. And so I've had stuff on here like start a journaling habit. And literally the only thing I was going to do was journal every day, you know, stuff like that. Or if it's, if it's something like uh, when I was creating faith-based productivity, that was on here quite a bit. It would be like write all the scripts and then the next one was shoot all the video and build the website, you know, all those types of things. Uh, and you can identify for yourself what these are. You can make them as big or as small as you want. I think that there are two kinds of things that are really effective here. One is like those big goals that you would typically set for the year. And that's kind of the the idea behind the 12 week year is like you set this big goal. And even if you don't get to it in three months, you've made significant progress and you can figure out what worked, what didn't make some adjustments and and keep going or try again, change a direction, whatever. Uh, The other one though, that I have found very helpful is like the lifestyle changes without a specific outcome in mind, like the journaling habit or writing or creating every day, you know, those, those types of adjustments and those habits, if you were to prioritize those things, those can provide a lot of long-term benefit, even more so sometimes than the the big goals. Okay. That's really helpful. I really have gained a lot from when I've taken time to really reflect and to look at why I'm feeling kind of wonky. I guess that's a word I like to use sometimes. (laughs) Like, what is wrong here? Mm-hmm. This is so valuable. And like I said before, it really is a mindset. This is super powerful to do if you can. So even if it's your, if you're like, I can't take a full day even, I would encourage you to just take a few hours, get yep. up really early one day or take an afternoon while the little ones are napping, if you have little ones or, you know, just really think outside the box and just start somewhere. Because you will gain so much from this. Yep. And the, the key things are look at the way things are, figure out what's working, what's broken, and what needs to be fixed. Basically, what adjustments you're going to make that are hopefully going to produce better results in the next time period, whether that is, you know, a year, three months even a couple of weeks. You know, there's a whole methodology called Scrum, which businesses use, and, and that's kind of built around the idea of smaller work cycles where you work for two weeks and then you stop and you do this retrospective process and you figure out what did we 
what did we nail? What did we completely biff on? <laughs> and, and what do we need to do to, to do better next time? And any, every time you do those iterations, uh, you just get a little bit better. Yeah, we actually do this as well after a big outreach event because we are the outreach coordinators for our church and we do a lot of things, but we do four quite large events quarterly. And when we get together with our team after the fact, we actually reflect and we do these same questions and we answer them. What should we start doing, stop doing, and keep doing? Yep. This is just to ingrain in us to always be asking these questions, like the day with the kids today, what should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I keep (laughs) doing? You know, or even just in marriage too, like knowing something that I could do differently just to improve our relationship, just little things like that too. So this is super duper powerful. It's the little things that end up being a big deal. Right. The little foxes spoil the vine. That's how the saying yep. goes. But on the flip side of that, it's the little things that if you do them the right yes. way that produce an incredible relationship or true. an incredible marriage, an incredible family. And so it's worthwhile figuring out what you're doing wrong, not so you can feel bad about the fact that you did things wrong. Because newsflash, you are going to do things wrong. We all do things wrong. I did things wrong even today. <laughs> like Me too. <laughs> but... It's not a big deal as long as you don't pretend that you're perfect and you have it all figured out. Oh, my. If you try to gloss it over, you'll just compound the the error and you'll continue to make mistakes. And then you'll end up in that place where your kids are seeing you say something and do something else. And they think that mom and dad are a hypocrite. So they don't want to talk to you about serious stuff that they're they're going through. But if they know that, like, yeah, my dad isn't perfect, but he does his best. And when he does mess up, he confesses and he gets right. You know, that produces more trust than trying to maintain this facade that you know better than everybody else. And they'll know how to deal with when they mess up because they've been given that example. Yep. Also, I want to say that what what should I keep doing? That's uh, that question should not be taken lightly because yes. <laughs> it's really important <laughs> because yep. there could be a lot of stop doing and start doing that you're like, you could really beat yourself up. But it's important to say, what should I keep doing? What is working? Because yep. I guarantee you there's going to be at least one thing. Yeah, actually that brings up one other point, which uh, I think I mentioned this in the course, but maybe I don't because I know that this really applies to me personally where I always try to cram in one more thing. So the most important question for me is what should I stop doing? And I make myself pick something every time I do one of these that I'm going to stop doing because it creates the space then for me to say yes to things that really are things that I want to do as opposed to just things that I've grown accustomed to doing. Now, I mention that because if you're going to do this after this whole quarantine pandemic thing, this is really important because you have an opportunity to redefine the rules And we kind of did this recently where our kids are all in piano lessons. And in the past, that meant that they were at the local music store all night on Monday night. That was long first day of the school week. It was a very long day. We hated it. (laughs) The kids probably didn't, but we did. (laughs) Well, by the end of it, it was just exhausting. Yep. So now we're not doing 
piano lessons. We got to figure out a new way to do things. Some of the teachers were okay doing like Zoom lessons. So they're interactive video lessons. They put the phone up on the piano and then they, they talk and they play together. Some of them wanted to send videos back and forth. I didn't think those were all that, that effective. No. But we decided that when we went back to things being normal, we weren't going to just do things the way we always did them. So we yeah. were looking for an alternative. We're like, hmm, this Zoom stuff, this is this is kind of nice. I mean, the kids that were in, a couple of our kids were in private lessons anyways because they didn't have the group lessons for them anymore in their, their age groups. So why do we have to drive downtown for that? It's like 30 minutes, you got to find a spot to park bring everybody inside. Right. Adelaide's so this, screaming her head yeah. off. So this summer has been a great opportunity to try out. We found a, another teacher, a new teacher. Well, we've known her. It's actually a missionary yeah, a we support missionary in that we support. Exactly. And they are going through this COVID-19 stuff too. They are looking for other ways to raise funds. So they're starting to do music lessons. They're very talented they're musically. Incredible. So we're like, hmm, this could be a great fit. Let's try this out. So we did it with and one. We did it with a second working. one. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. It's perfect, too, because it's exactly what we were looking for as opposed to just teaching our kids to play classical music, which there's value in that. But ultimately, like, I play on the worship team, uh, and our kids are kind of inclined that way. They, they, love to, they love to worship. So that's a big thing for them, and that's exactly what these people do. So yes. it's a totally different style. <laughs> yeah. Toby specifically was like, this is way different. It's way harder, but I really, really like it. Yeah, yeah, it's been really fun. <laughs> so it's the right thing. Uh, it's the right time. I mean, it's better in every, every possible way because we were looking for an alternative instead of just going back to the way that, that things were. So I think these retrospective questions are really important right now. I totally agree. I, it, it'd be a travesty to not take a look during this time Don't at all the things. Don't miss the opportunity yes. to make the most and, important you know, thing the most important yes, thing. Yes, and I'm a recovering people pleaser. So what should I stop doing is also a very important question for me. I need to stop myself and check my motive. That's been a big thing I've been learning lately is what is my motive? Why do I want to say mm. yes to this? Or why am I compelled to try and make this relationship work with this person or appease them? It's like, well, if my motive isn't love or with their best interests, then there's something happening here. There's something that's not right. Yep. So this is super powerful. And I hope that you all can share in the personal retreat soon. Do you have anything else you want yeah, to share? Yeah, one other thing I want to mention, uh, going back to carving out the time in order for this to work. Uh, I want to share that my co-host on the Focus podcast, David Sparks, uh, we interviewed Sean McCabe on that podcast. And Sean, uh, he is writing a book on sabbaticals. Every seventh week, he takes off and he has an online company and every person in his company has the same policy. So every seventh week they take off. For Blanc Media, we do this. It's, a, it's every eighth week. Uh, same principle, though. And uh, Sean McCabe was on the Focus podcast, and he challenged David to take a sabbatical. A sabbatical is like a personal retreat on steroids. So it's an entire week where you are disconnecting from everything, uh, David was apprehensive about it because he's a, a lawyer. He's got clients who they need a problem. They have a problem and it needs to be solved right away. But Sean 
got him to commit on there that he was going to take a week off for this and actually schedule it. So every seventh week, this is going to going to come around. Uh, and I want to share that David, prior to that conversation, we had talked about this on the podcast. I'm not sharing anything that's private knowledge here. It's all all public, but he liked the idea of the sabbatical, but he wasn't sure that he could carve out the time to do it. Well, now the motivation is high enough. He's figured out a way. And that's really the point is that it doesn't matter if it's a day or a week, there is some time period that you're like, that's too much. And it's probably not too much. He just probably never thought about how could I actually pull something like this off? Very true. Very true. Yeah. So this is a very important concept. And I really hope that you take it to heart and you consider even doing the three big questions. What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? And what should I keep doing? Even that could maybe even be some just journaling prompts that you do at the end of the day and do a little daily reflection. It's a good idea. But I do encourage you, it'd be great if we could all just take a few hours before you hear the next episode even and take some time to reflect and even maybe put on the calendar a full day of a personal retreat. (laughs) Whether you are a mom, a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a, a working dad, whether you are a single person managing the different areas of your life, this is powerful for everyone to look at the state of their life and to really consider what should change, what should improve. This makes everything that you're going to do over the next couple months until you do the next one more effective. So it is definitely a time well spent and a good investment. And we've mentioned my course several times throughout this episode. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes that people are interested in it. We basically shared just about everything from it in this episode. (laughs) Uh, But I will put it in there and we'll also have a a coupon code for people. They can get it for 50% off if they're interested in it. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great course. It gives you the basically the PDFs that you can work off of if you want to use those prompts. Really helpful so you don't feel kind of stuck or, um, you know, so inclined to grab your phone and do all those things (laughs) that we normally do. But uh, we want to thank you so much for listening to us at The Intentional Family again for episode eight. And you can find us at intentionalfamily.fm. We'd love for you to share this with someone you think would be interested in the topics. Um, And if you want to give us a rating, a review, that would really help us out as well so more people can hear this message. But until next time, join us in living life intentionally.